Hey guys, it's Simon. This is Wrestling Unlimited as it's Wednesday, and you know what that means. It means tonight was AEW Dynamite. Now, get everything out of the way about what I thought of the show. A, I thought the show flew by. Like this show, they're like, coming up next is the main event. There's 15 minutes left in the show, whatever. And I was like, oh crap. This show flew by, but not in a good way. Now, I love the new set that they have for Daily's Place. Looked really cool. Graphics on there for the homecoming and the colors, the blue, the specific blue they used, and the um, red and all that, whatever. But the show going by so quickly, unlike like when we go, oh, this Raw didn't feel three hours. That was great. This show flew by because I didn't care about anything on this show. This show flew by because I didn't think anything on this show mattered. That's the bad part. That's the negative. And largely, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter since this show started and ended saying kind of the same thing. This was kind of a nothing show. This was more of a, hey, we're going to Jacksonville. Let's have a party show. And that's not what we need. Granted, there's still like a month and a half to the pay-per-view, so they really don't need to be building up pay-per-view matches right now. But I just... I don't know if Luke feels the same way. We'll ask him here in a second, but I just feel like nothing mattered on this show. Granted, they did build up some challengers, challengers for Samoa Joe, which we'll get into my feelings on that when we get to it. But yeah, largely, this felt like a nothing, nothing show. Oh, Luke. We got Luke right over here. What do you think is a nice dynamite? Um, Yeah, I, I, I felt like tonight was just like a nothing show. It almost felt like one of those like WWE live events where you, where they have like a bunch of like just people on the show doing random stuff and it doesn't really like it's nothing. Well, almost. No. That's kind of what Dynamite felt like. Give it a little more credit. I'd say it was a B-level New Japan show where it's like this isn't the main show where all the titles are going to be on the line. But this is the show where everyone just gets to be on the show. That's what it felt like. Also... How the hell is Lance Archer going to team with the tag, the six-man tag champions only to challenge them Saturday for the titles? How does that make any goddamn sense at all? It it, it doesn't. No. Really. It doesn't. It makes okay. no sense. And people are, oh, yeah, and we'll get to it when we get to it, but, like, people were pissed about the ending. Oh, what, Vince McMahon Jr. is coming out? Have you seen that joke, no, like too? Everyone's like, oh, I haven't seen that one, though. their new look is making fun of Vince because the the skinny mustache. Oh. Yeah. People are saying that they're making fun of Vince with their new look. But yeah, a lot of negative on the Young Bucks coming out at the end of the show. We got to overrun just so the Young Bucks music can play. They can walk out and Excalibur can yell a bunch of stuff that nobody wants to hear. So. I'm just saying the freaking Sting's final match. Should be Sting versus Darby in a singles match with Darby winning. That should be Sting's final match. Not Sting and Darby versus the Young Bucks. But that's what they're going to do. And they're going to build it for how many weeks till the pay-per-view? We have one, two, three, four. Month and a half. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks. Was it March 3rd? Yes. Yeah. Seven weeks. To build up 
Sting and Darby versus the Young Bucks, if that truly is the route they're going to go. And they wouldn't have had Excalibur yelling that so many times at the end of the show if it's not the, the move they're doing. So it's like, oh my God. How just stretched out is this going to have to be? We're going to get Darby versus Nick and then Darby versus Matt. And then what? Sting's not going to face them each singles, is he? Maybe. I don't know. But it's just like, it does nothing. Nothing for me. And... I, mean, I haven't seen a single person on Twitter say different. Go for it. I mean, I think Sting might have like one singles match, but probably it'll probably be like one of those singles matches where he doesn't have to do as much. Just what? A match with Nick Jackson where Nick Jackson's just flipping and flopping all around and then Sting just bumps for him a couple times? Did you see? Referee thought Sting was hurt at the end of the match. Yeah, I saw that. Ric Flair went to go over to help Sting up, and he told Rick no and called the doctor over. I was like, oh, that ain't good. Because Rick was, like, trying to extend his arm to help Sting up, and the referee, I think it was Bryce Remsburg. I could be wrong. But he was, like, telling telling Rick, back up, back up, back up. And then he's, like, called over Doc Samson. Then he's, like, doing this for somebody else to come over. It's like, uh-oh. Because when Sting took that DDT through the table... Top half of him missed the table, and he bonked his head off the ground. So, granted, there's padding down there, but that padding is only, what, like that thick? So, yeah, not good. Not good. But with that, guys, I want to say thank you for joining us here. Twitch.tv forward slash PW Unlimited. YouTube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Unlimited. And podcast services all around the globe like Stitcher, Spotify, Google Pod, App Pod, Inc., iHeartRadio, and so much more. Remember, if you are watching live on Twitch, you can help us out a couple of different ways. You can either help us out by hitting that donate button down below or by donating Twitch bits in the live chat. Also, remember, you can help us out by subscribing to the channel one of two different ways. You can subscribe with a tiered subscription or you can subscribe with Amazon Prime. Because remember, if you have Amazon Prime, then you have Prime Gaming. Prime Gaming gives you a lot of cool things like free games, free stuff for games, and you always get one free subscription to any which channel you want to subscribe to throughout the month. And I'd greatly appreciate it if you did right here, Pro Wrestling Unlimited. Remember, it doesn't just have to be your Amazon Prime account. It can link to anybody's Amazon Prime account, whether that's your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your grandma, your grandpa, your auntie, your uncle, so many different people. Just be like, hey, I don't have Amazon Prime. Can I use yours? Link it, boom, bing, you're good to go. Remember also, head over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button. That way you know when we go live. That way you know when we post new videos. And that way, you're supporting the channel. Also, hit that join button to become a channel member. And remember to donate a super chat in the live chat. Super chats, make sure your comments, questions, or concerns do get read live on the air. Finally, head over to the Epic Game Store. Head over to the Epic Game Store and buy something. Whether you're buying a new game, like Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, that comes out, I think, tomorrow. Whether you're pre-ordering Skull and Bones. Maybe you're getting uh, a free game, which you need to go claim if you haven't played this game. Guardians of the Galaxy. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is a fantastic game. I know some people didn't like it. I loved it. Go claim it for free on the Epic Game Store and use this code right here, PWUnlimited. Also remember, if you're getting bucks for Rocket League, Fortnite, or Fall Guys, use the code as well, P-W-U-N-L-I-M-I-T-E-D, for all Epic Games and Epic Game Store purchases. Also remember, we are sponsored by Upscale Bling, but we'll tell you about them a little bit later.
So as far as this show does go, as far as Dynamite does go, it opens up with a pretty dang good match. You got Claudio and Hangman Page. I think they said this is the first time Claudio has worked the show in Daly's Place. Now, did they not go to Daly's Place at all in 2023? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I don't know, actually. Let me see if I can look this up really fast. AEW Daily's Place. Wait, like, they say, like, ever work in a match in Daily's Place, not just in AEW? For Claudia. Well, AEW's the only wrestling company that's ever run in Daily's Place. But, so when did Claudio debut? 2022? It, yeah, it, was, it was Forbidden Door 22. So yeah. they haven't been to Daily's Place since then? Or if they have, Claudio just wasn't on that show. Because I'm trying to see. How do I figure out? Let me see something real fast. Uh, does Cage Match do it? If I could just type in like a venue. Uh, let me see. I think Cage Match does that. You can type in a venue. Daily's place. No, it doesn't work like that. Never mind. But yeah, they said this is the first time Claudio has ever worked a match in Daily's place. And I was like, oh, okay. I wouldn't have thought that. But again, it's been a while since they've been there. Apparently, they didn't go there at all in 2023. And like I said, either he just didn't work there in 22 or they didn't go there in the second half of 22. So as far as the match does go, Page attacked right at the bell and went to the floor. And my first thought was, shouldn't this man want to be fighting the Undisputed Kingdom? Shouldn't he want to be taking out the team that took him out for a couple of weeks and powerbombed him through a windshield? Instead, he comes back and wants to fight Swerve last week, and now is just in a match with Claudio. What? And this is right off the rip. Doesn't make sense. First thing on the show, no meaning to it. Builds up nothing. Yeah, it gives Hangman a win. Cool. Whatever. Had your win-loss. But what does this really mean? What does this really affect going forward? Granted, good match. But there also needs to be stories and reasons for why certain matches are happening. Which, again, like I said, none of the matches tonight did that. Now, a little bit with the main event, because they have been doing, like, Sting and Darby versus Don Callis family, kind of. Not really, sort of. But still, I don't know. Anyways, Castagnoli went to the eyes to gain control, and the double stomp followed for a two. Uppercuts flattened Page as Castagnoli stood on his chest and posed before Page started no-selling headbutts and started a forearm battle. Castagnoli pulled Page down by the hair and did the giant swing into a sharpshooter. Page nearly got the ropes, but Castagnoli transitioned it into a crossface. Page escaped and connected with a devastation, a devastating Death Valley driver for the reset before the forearm exchange again. Page finally hit a fallaway slam and a springboard clothesline before quickly flying to the floor with a plancha. Page then took a sip of a fan's beer, but the delay there allowed Claudio to catch him on a charge, and Page was thrown with a gorilla press out of the ring onto the stage. We then go to a commercial break off of this. Coming back, there was a charging double stomp on the stage. Claudio kept Page grounded until they hit the ring again until Page wanted a buckshot, but ate a big boot instead. Both men then slugged it out at the entrance before Page hit a running clothesline, and the referee basically was just like, Okay, I'm not going to count a count out. They're just going to let these guys do whatever they want. Too much of that tonight. Too much of fighting on the outside and the ref not doing anything about it. Too much of that tonight. That was, that was another thing that got me. How are you going to do 
like in the main event. It's a tornado tag. Okay, cool, whatever. But they can go fight out in the crowd. I already saw people fighting in the crowd. We're going to get that on Saturday with the street fight tag title match. Too much of the same. Anyways. Uh, they get back into the ring. Paige hit a running clothesline, sending Claudio into it from the stage. Uh, There's another attempt at a buckshot, but it was countered into a nice pop-up uppercut from Claudio for a near fall. Claudio toyed with Paige, only pissing him off in the process as both men tumbled to the floor. Paige wanted a moonsault off the apron, but Claudio Castagnoli caught him with a running power slam into the stage wall. But when they tried it again, Paige countered into a DDT and hit a moonsault off the stage. They also told us, gotta be careful fighting where they're at. That's a concrete wall behind that. We go back into the ring. Claudio caught another dive. Paige then wiggled free and hit a tombstone for a two. Paige wanted to go for the dead eye, but Claudio countered and dropped Paige face first. Excuse me, under the top turnbuckle. Claudio relentlessly fired off uppercuts before a short arm lariat for a two. There's an anvil elbow drop that drove down onto Paige as Claudio wanted to go for the neutralizer. Paige did counter that neutralizer into a dead eye for two of his own. Paige wanted another springboard clothesline, but Claudio hit an uppercut in midair. Both men then went to the ropes as Claudio wanted an avalanche Ricola bomb, but Paige turned it into a mid-air Hurricane Rana. Paige then followed this up, <clears throat> finally, with hitting two buckshot lariats and pinning Claudio to pick up the victory. Now, nothing against the two men here. I thought the match was freaking great. I loved the match. I thought it was fun to watch. But there's too much in AEW of, this match means nothing. There's no stakes here. What does this really mean? What did you think of the match? I mean, overall, the match was really good, and it was a fun opening match, mm-hmm. but I feel like the match was just to give, like, Hangman, like, some momentum to look strong whenever they do, like, inverse swerve, if I'm being completely honest. Unless it's him and Joe first for the title before swerve. As he I said- think overall, this, even though the match... Did like nothing storyline. It was just a match that was supposed to make Hangman look strong to, True. for whatever he does next. Right. That's what that, that's what they were going for. I mean, I get that, but when they don't even mention the records anymore, eh, it's whatever. So we see some highlights of the late Mr. Brody Lee during the Daily's Place run. So was his entire time in AEW all? in Daly's place with no actual crowd. Like they were bringing small crowds towards the end of it. If I'm thinking, remembering correctly, he passed away before they started traveling again and doing shows outside of Jacksonville, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like he never got to experience with this character. Now he got to experience it many times in WWE working big shows, WrestleManias and stuff. I remember him in the... Intercontinental Championship ladder match at WrestleMania 31. I was there. He got a big pop when he came out and some of the stuff he did in that match. But regardless, he never got to experience that big AEW pop with this character. I would have loved to see how fans reacted to him. But ultimately, we didn't get that. But they did play up his time in AEW during the Daily's Place run. They said tonight there will be two eight-person tag team matches. One with... um. Preston Vance in it, and another with Anna Jay in it. These are Brody Lee tribute matches. And so, because they're Brody Lee tribute matches, two former members of the Dark Order have to be babyfaces tonight. 
But wasn't the Dark Order heels anyways? Weren't they always heels under Brody Lee? They were, yeah. So why do they have to all of a sudden now be baby faces when they both have been working? Well, Anna Jay's been going back and forth. Well, Preston Vance is in LIJ. He's a heel. Now Anna Jay is taking on, challenge, going up against Ruby and Soraya, who literally a month ago she was tag teaming with. So I don't know. Again, more matches for match sake. At least when New Japan does these random six, eight, and ten man tag team matches, they're with groups and factions that are feuding at the moment or about to start a feud. These matches built to nothing really, if I'm gonna be honest. They literally at least when A or when New Japan does their big multi person tag matches, it's either to continue storylines or to build a new storyline. So I was thinking Oh, we're going to maybe get a new challenger for Orange Cassidy. Maybe Orange gets pinned, and that next person's going to challenge him. Maybe, you know, someone's going to get a shot at the, the six-person tag title match, or tag title is coming off of this. Not really. None of this built up to anything. And honestly, I was bored throughout both of these tag matches. Both of them. Tony Khan treats AEW like it's WWE 2K. Oh, no. You, you know what he's said in the past. I've been technically booking Dynamite in my head since the 90s. I've been fantasy booking this since the 90s, writing storylines. And so, basically, he's got all these storylines he's been writing up since he was a kid, and now he's just plugging playing wrestlers in there. Like, whatever. So, as far as this match does go, uh, Dustin Rhodes and Toy Leona started off the match, and immediately Dustin almost drops Leona on his head with a snap power slam. Leona quickly turned the tides, and we had some fast tags in. Team uh, fast tags in and out by Team Cassidy, who tried a choke slam on Cage, but he didn't budge. Cassidy managed to stun Dog Millionaire, but Archer and Leona argued who would make the tag here, and I'm like, this kind of built tension. But not enough tension to be like, oh, now I'm going to challenge you for your titles. Even though we just lost tonight. Like, whatever. Because they even did something where they were like, um, um, what was it? They said Prince Nana and um, uh, Jake Roberts were arguing at ringside as well. But again, that's not enough to all of a sudden say Lance Archer and the two, the righteous, can get a title shot. Anyways. Cassidy managed to send Doug Miller, like I said. Archer and Leona argued on who was going to tag back in. Cassidy tried to show off his speed on Con, a con but was pounced in midair by Leona, leaving Cassidy isolated during commercial break. Everyone took turns picking on Cassidy, picked him apart a bunch, including a one-arm suplex by Cage. Also, did you notice Cage's arm all taped up? Yeah, did you see, yeah I noticed that. Did you see his uh, Instagram post? Of all the bruising. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. He took that suplex off the ropes last week, landed wrong on his shoulder, and all his arm here, and all in here, completely bruised up. Like, oh! Almost looks like um, the beginning... It's not, because he worked tonight, but the beginning of the bruising when you tear your pec. So, luckily, it's not that. He just bruised his arm really bad. So, hopefully, it's not a shoulder injury or anything, but he worked tonight. No problem. Or like a... Or like that Cody Rhodes torn peck that right. was like all purple. 
Well, yeah, because like when Triple H had that injury, he his started to form right here in the same spot as uh, Cage's all of his um, bruising, but ultimately it didn't like go down into the chest and all that. So he should be good. He should be good. Um, back from the break, Archer launched Cassidy clear across the ring, following up with a step-up knee in the corner. Archer wanted locomotion splashes, but Jose, the assistant, tripped him up on the third go-around, causing Jake Roberts to lay out Jose for his troubles. Cassidy managed the round-the-ring DDT, uh, round-the-world DDT to create distance from Archer and made the hot tag to Vance, who ran wild on everyone. Conduct a Brody Lee-esque discus lariat, but Vance answered with a ripcord cutter. Uh, the match then broke down, leaving Cage to drop Rhodes with an F5. Tried to do one on Copeland, who it's like, oh, wait, Adam Copeland's in this match. He hasn't done anything. Like, we're almost through this match, and he hadn't done nothing. Copeland countered an F5 with an impaler. Khan then dropped Copeland with a gut buster. Cassidy was there with an orange punch. Archer hit the boss man slam, and finally, there was some friendly fire where Archer and Leona kind of collided a little bit. This led to Cage taking out his own partner with a clothesline to the floor. But then this turned into a Copeland Spear, followed by a discus lariat from Vance to pick up the victory. So it's like, we knew who was going to get the win here. We knew that it was going to be um, Preston Vance getting the pin. Because if this is a Brody Lee tribute, then of course he's going to get the win, and Anna Jay later is going to get the win. Speaking of Adam Copeland, though, have you or are you interested in the, um, have you seen or are you interested in watching the um, Percy Jackson series on Disney Plus? Um, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I haven't really been interested in it, but I, I did hear like Edge's part was pretty good. Yes. So Adam Copeland plays Ares, who is the son of Zeus, the brother of, uh, the son of Zeus and the cousin of Percy Jackson. And Adam Copeland plays a great bad guy. I hope we get more of him throughout the season. This was episode five, and it's like, oh, man, he's really good here. Give me more. So I don't know if there's going to be more of him. I haven't read the books. I've only seen the original movies, so I don't know how much in this version of the story he's going to be in. But I thought he was really, really good. Like, he needs to do more acting, a lot more acting. I don't know if he's... Batista, John Cena, rock level. But given more roles and more time, I think he can maybe get there. At least like Cena rock levels. Now, I think Batista's way above both of them. I don't know if Adam Copeland can ever be as good of an actor as Batista. But I think he can do well with more roles. But I think if you haven't seen it yet, or if you're just interested in seeing how he was, go check it out on Disney+. Plus. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. They're going through the first story right now of the lightning thief. I mean, Adam Copeland, he's done a lot of acting before that. Yeah. I know he played a villain in the Flash series back in the day. Did he? I didn't know that. I just knew he was on a lot of Vikings. And then he's done a couple movies. Hang on, let me, let me pull, up I'll his up I'll pull up his IMDb. I know he did something in the DC and I wouldn't doubt it. Here, we'll pull up his IMDb here on the screen. Adam Copeland. Let's see. Um, 
trying to see. Let's go to all of everything. We did the movie Money Plane, which is a pretty good movie. I liked that. He was in Vikings. He did 25 episodes of Vikings. I haven't seen a lot of Vikings, but what I've seen of him on the show was really good. Mm, seven Bucks Digital Studios. He did two episodes of something with The Rock here. Interrogation, haven't seen that. Private Eyes, haven't seen that. Dumb Luck, haven't seen that. Haven. Haven was a good movie. Or show, I mean. He did 42 episodes of that. That was a good show. I want to say that was on Sci-Fi, maybe? Yeah, so right here, he did one episode of The Flash. He played Adam Smasher. And then he's done... I know he did other things during his first run in WWE Sanctuary. He did a couple episodes of that show. He was on the show Bending the Rules. And I know he did, like, one of those earlier WWE studio films. Which one was he in was Highland? <clears throat> was he was he in Highlander or Endgame back in the day? Um, let's that was like see. in two thousand. Yeah, let's see. Two thousand two. Uh, yes, Highlander Endgame. Two thousand. Damn, I don't even know if I ever heard about that. Highlander I, Endgame. I don't remember. Uh, it says Immortals. Connor and Duncan McLeod, Lee, Leod, McLeod, McLeod, whatever, must join forces against Kel, an evil immortal who has become too strong for anyone to face alone. Hmm. He, he couldn't have had like a big role in that. He was probably just one of those like people that would talk like once or <clears throat> twice. Gotcha. But yeah, this says he only did one episode of Percy Jackson, which I'm kind of bummed about because... His role on the show was a little limited. He didn't do a lot, but what he did was good. And like, he played Ares, the God of War. He could have done so much more than ride a motorcycle and sit at a diner. Basically all he did. Got most of the, just, yeah. Basically he was there to send Percy and Athena, or not Athena, um, Annabelle, Athena's daughter, his niece, on... A little mission. That's all it was. He's like a setup guy. But you could have done so much more with the character of Ares. I mean, maybe like once Adam Copeland retires from pro wrestling, which I have no clue when. Probably in the next year. Maybe he can, Maybe in the next year. Maybe he can. Maybe he'll start doing some more acting. I'd like it. I'd like him to get bigger roles. So like I said, I've seen him on the show Haven. He was really good there. I've seen him on Vikings. He was really good there. And the limited role that he had here... Episode 5 of Percy Jackson, he was really good as well. So. Uh, we go to the back. Renee Paquette is with the Bullet Club Gold. Who's played Jay White in the, the um, um, not the Bucks, the Guns. White said that anything the Undisputed Kingdom can do, the Bang Bang Gang can do better. And then, oh my God, this got so stupid. So, I think it was, who was it? Austin Gunn was like, it ain't the Undisputed Kingdom, it's it's the United Kingdom, where you're from. And freaking um, Jay White's just like, oh my God. And Renee's got to be like, no, he's from New Zealand. And he's like, just leave it be, Renee, leave it be. I'm like, oh my God, they're really making these guys come off as idiots. So the acclaimed and daddy ass walk in. And Bowens is like, you know, we should join forces. We could all have titles. And then like the guns get mad. And he's like, no, 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 no. And Jay White's like, that's not what they meant. They don't want to fight us. They want to hold titles and then us have our own titles. 
And so they're talking for a minute, and then Bowens is like, maybe we can be a super group, the Bang Bang Scissor Gang. And White and Colton were just like, huh, kind of like the name. And then they just left. And then there's like, Bang Bang Scissor Gang. Yeah, it was weird. Very weird. Like, I don't know if they're going to join forces. I think in the end, it's just going to be the Bullet Club Gold challenging them for the trios titles. I think Bullet Club Gold should win the trios titles, if I'm being honest. Yes. Yes. I mean, the Acclaim, they've done nothing with those belts, really. To be honest, it's just like when they had the tag titles, I felt like they didn't really do much with the regular tag titles either. With the Acclaimed? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they did more, but not much. Like, what did they have? A couple good matches with Swerve and Keith Lee before losing the titles and then getting them back? I mean, they fans loved them when, whenever they had the belts. Like, they were getting good yeah. fan reactions, but as far as, like, I mean, they had some good matches with the belts, but, like, was, was their title reign great? No. No. It was very but... forgettable. Yeah, I think fans have definitely forgotten about their title run. Yeah. So then we get, in my opinion, the best thing on the show. Samoa Joe coming out to address Daly's place. A week too late. He should have been on the show last week. Follow up right after winning the belt. But okay, whatever, we get him now. Joe comes out wearing a suit. You notice he's got a new championship. Did you notice the differences of his belt? Other than the strap being black? Uh, the side plates with his name on it. Yep. They're copying WWE. Side plates, interchangeable side plates for the different wrestlers. Basically, I think they're doing this so they can further copy WWE and give out AEW title belts to different uh, sports champions like they did with the Citrus Bowl. So, Joe comes out wearing a suit and got the new belt in hand. Uh, we got thank you, Joe Chance. Joe said, no, 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 no. No thank you necessary. No thank yous needed. I was destined to win this title. Joe said that there are going to be changes when it comes to the championship protocol and wanting to get a match. No longer do you have to come out here and whine on the microphone about your poor misfortunes, going on social media, making your ho-ass comments. Instead, you bring your win-loss record and your reputation to the championship committee, and they will deem if you're worthy enough and give you the express pass to me and the world title. So now that Joe said this, they've got to establish a championship committee. But who is on that committee? Who do you put on the championship committee? It can't be any active wrestler, in my opinion. can't be like a Danielson. Because if he's on the committee, then A, People are going to be like, oh, he's going to favor the BCC. He's going to give himself a title match. So, like, maybe if we think about people in the company backstage, of course, Tony Khan should be on the... And it's not a real committee, because in the end, it's Tony Khan making all the decisions. But if there's going to be a committee, say, of three people, maybe Tony, Jerry Lynn, Jimmy Jacobs... Maybe you add one more. Maybe you take Tony out of it and add Dean Malenko or something. But I feel like if Joe is going to be focusing on this, go to the committee and they'll determine if you deserve the title shot. We need to know who this committee is so then there's legitimacy 
in the person getting the title shot. But then all of a sudden, he says this, bring your record, bring your reputation, take it to the committee. And then Hook just gets a shot. So he says all this, and then they don't even follow up or actually do it, which kind of irked me a little bit. So he says all this. He says, get an express pass to me stomping your ass and beating you up. Swerve's music hits. Swerve comes out with the mogul embassy. You notice that when it's not Swerve's music, Prince Nana doesn't dance. He only dances to Swerve's music. Well, yeah, that's his thing. Excuse me. He didn't dance when he came out earlier with the mogul embassy. Anyways. The only... Well, his thing is, he only does the dance like Swerve's theme because like his dance can only like match up with like Swerve's theme, though. True. So, because if he tried to do that same dance with like any other theme song, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So they come out. Strickland said a few months ago, told Hangman Page that he was after his spot, and well, he took it. Strickland is going to tell Joe the same thing, as this isn't personal. He just wants the championship. Right as Joe and Strickland went to go face-to-face, <clears throat> out would come Hangman. Hangman would come down to the ring, never taking his eyes off a of swerve. Page said in 2023, he held a lot, uh, held a, Page said that 2023 held a lot for him, beating John Moxley in a Texas death match, reuniting the elite. Then he found swerve. The one thing Page lost sight of was the world title. But in 2024, he's going to make it right. He's going after that belt. Prince Nana then had to pull Swerve away. The Mogul Embassy retreated. Page, with his Stan Hansen-looking mustache, then got in Joe's face and said that he would be the one to take the title off of Joe. So, Swerve wants a shot. Hangman wants a shot. And then all of a sudden, Batman showed up. Joe's kind of celebrating after everybody leaves, and then he looks up. And there's a bat signal, more like the hook signal in the sky. And so he's looking up, and then Hook comes out. Hook walks down to the ring, FTW title on his shoulder, gets in the ring, gets in Joe's face, goes, one week, one week, and then walks off. And Excalibur goes, did he just say one week? He wants the title next week. What does this mean, Taz? And Taz is like, I don't know. Hook's out here doing Hook things. So, yeah. Then during the next match, Sammy Guevara and Ricky Starks, it was officially announced next week it will be Smojo defending the AEW World Championship against the FTW champion, Hook. And here's my opinion on this. People already don't care about the FTW title, but if you want to make that title look even worse, then you book that champion against the world champion to lose. That's what they're doing. So people are going to further not care about the FTW title when the FTW champion is not going to be able to hang with the world champion. Like, I don't see this not being, and I don't, I'm not going to say Joe and Hook is going to be a complete squash, but I don't see this being a Hook's going to get a lot of offense to where we think he can win match. I think this is going to be a pretty, if I'm saying for Joe's first defense, dominant defense. What do you think? I still can't get over all the Hook Jinder Mahal stuff on Twitter. Yeah. I, I when Hook came out, I was like, 
oh god twitter's gonna blow up again right and so for for anybody that doesn't know if you haven't been following on twitter so was it last week on collision there was a video package maybe it was the week before but it was on collision hook was on a stoop look like stoop kid from hey arnold he calls out Smojo, says, hey, I don't want to go after the world title. Fans online were like, no, no, no. Why are you booking this? This makes no sense. We don't want to see Hook versus Joe, da, 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 da. Then you go to Monday Night Raw this week where Jinder Mahal interrupts WWE World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins, which leads to Jinder Mahal next Monday getting a shot for the title. There's a little discourse. People saying, this don't make sense. I don't like this. What's this? We said it on our Raw podcast. Like, why is Jinder getting a shot? At least there's backstory between Jinder and Seth. At least there's a backstory. There's no backstory with Hook and Joe. And so Tony Khan then goes on Twitter Tuesday and is like, double standard. Everybody was all mad and upset because Hook called out Samoa Joe, yet he has a 28-1 record. Nobody's mad that Jinder Mahal's getting a title shot and he hasn't won a match in over a year. Then he went on to talk more crap. Eric Bischoff calls him a clown. He calls Eric Bischoff a has-been. Jinder Mahal says, who the fuck is Hook? What's a Hook? Taz then just responds to Hook. Like, what is that supposed to mean? And yeah. So that's why Tony Khan was mad on Twitter because he says there's a double standard. We book a title shot with a guy that's picked up a bunch of victories this year, and they they book a title match for a guy that hasn't won a match in a year, yet you're okay with him and not Hook. But here's my thing. A, for Jinder's a former WWE champion. At least you could say that. Him and Seth have history. They were in the finals of a tournament to crown the first ever NXT champion. Again, history there. I'm not saying I'm giving WWE a pass. Jinder shouldn't be getting a title shot. It makes no sense, but it makes more sense than Hook. Hook's already got a belt. Hook's already over here with the FTW title that no one cares about. So why should the FTW champion be challenging the AW world champion? And then if Tony Khan really wants to go on the, but Hook's got a 28 and one record. Okay. Against who? He's been beating Ethan Page all year. He's had like three, four matches with Ethan Page. What? He beat Wheeler Yuta and Jack Perry. But are they world title level, top of the card contenders? Wheeler Yuta to an extent, kind of, only because he's in the BCC and he gets linked to their stuff. But it's like, what has Hook done to deserve this title? And I'm not trying to say that Jinder's done anything to deserve a title shot either. I think both matches are dumb. And they're both happening next week. Any thoughts? <laughs> I mean, I mean, both don't make sense. But I feel like if any match would make more sense than the other, it'd probably be Jinder versus Seth because you know there's history there, right? Like, like Hook, yeah, he picked up a bunch of wins, but like, and keep in mind, those wins, let, me, let me cut like, you off. Let me cut you off really fast. The twenty-eight and one are singles match record. He's lost a bunch of tag matches, just saying. Go for it. I mean, like, <coughs> whenever Hook would beat someone in AEW, was anyone, were any of those, like, former world champions or? No. I can say exactly yeah, like, who his, you, you His two biggest singles wins were against, like, Jack Perry and Wheeler Yuta. That's you want, it. You want to know who he's beaten in singles matches this year? 
Wheeler Yuta, Rocky Romero. Um, scroll down a couple months. Jack Perry at All In. Literally, between All In and December, he didn't have any singles matches. And then we got to go back farther. He lost to Jack Perry at one point. More tag matches, more tag matches, more tag matches, more tag matches. He beat Serpentico in an unaired dark match. He successfully defended the title. Okay, those are house show matches against Ethan Page. So those don't even count. Then he had another match on Rampage against Ethan Page. So he beat Ethan Page there. Dynamite, he beat Ethan Page in the same week. And then beat Ethan Page again. He beat Ian, uh, Peter Avalon. He beat Matt Hardy. Who's Balaam Lynx? He beat a guy named Balaam Lynx. That was probably some local the, the end of local last year. Probably. That's the end of last year. December 2022. So like he's literally only beat Matt Hardy, Peter Avalon, Ethan Page. How is this even 28 and 1? Oh. It's 28 and 1 overall, not just in the last year. That's why. It's 28. No, that still is. Yeah. 28 and 1 in singles matches throughout his entire career since December 2021. So, yeah. No. No. Plus, you're doing a disservice again, like I said, to the FTW title. Because when Joe beats him and doesn't make him look strong, like, I don't think they're going to make him look just like, oh, it's not like if Joe were to go out here and squash, I don't know, Serpentico. I think it's going to be a little more of a challenge for Joe, but not much. And so then you're doing a disservice to the FTW title as well. <clears throat> Move forward. We go backstage. It's black and white because it's a Tony Storm segment with Renee Paquette. Luther's there, and so is Mariah May. It still makes no sense on why Mariah May is with Tony Storm, especially when Tony just talks crap on her all the time. Tony either talks crap on her or tells her, I don't know who you are. Like, so what is this just eventually in like what? A month? Is this going to lead to Mariah May versus Tony Storm for the title of Revolution? I mean, it's going to lead to Mariah May getting a title shot. I'd probably say Revolution, yeah. So, May. But does uh, she win it. though? Mariah May. That's yeah. a that's a tough one. I feel like it'd be too no. early to put the belts on her. No, it'd be it would be too early. Yeah. Renee Piquet is backstage. I, Go for I, it. I, honestly, I mean, I honestly don't really know who who takes the belt off Tony Storm. Like Sky Blue, Brett Baker. Well, who knows when she's coming back? I mean, apparently, according to Tony. Cody, according to Tony Sto- Tony Khan, there's too many Tonys in this company. Tony Storm, there's Tony Khan, there's Tony Schiavone. Anyways, according oh, to Tony... Tony Nese. Oh, fuck, I forgot about him, too. Jeez. That's like there's... um, Who, what, there, what is it? There's Brian Cage, there's Christian Cage, there's Ethan Page, Cage Cage Page. Anyways. So... Now nah, I lost my train of thought. Anyways, Renee Paquette was backstage with Tony Storm, Luther, and Mariah May, asking her thoughts on what happened last week. Basically, Mariah's match and Deanna Prazo showing up. May asked if Storm saw her match, which Storm said 
She was given a screener, but didn't watch it. But May asked, but asked May, <clears throat> asked if May performed the arm drag. Paquette said that she was talking about AEW's new assigning, which Storm thought was Wendy Richter. Paquette mentioned it was Deanna Perrazzo, who May said kicked her in the face. Storm gave May a chocolate and said she feels the prettiest, she feels like the prettiest girl at the dance. Storm then said, chin up, tits out, line. And so Mariah was like, watch for the shoe. And then Tony's just like, ah, you said it. You ruined it. You took my line. And I was like, you asked for the line, numb nuts. It popped Taz, and it made me go like, oh, I just lost three minutes of my life. It was stupid as shit. What'd you think? I am really bored of the Tony Storm gimmick. Oh, I'm beyond bored. To the point where I'm like, this is, do I mute this it? This is not the 90s. This is not the 90s where like everyone has to have a gimmick. Why can't it just be like today's world of wrestling where it's just people that want to that fight? It's not even funny anymore. Like at first, when they did it for the first two weeks, it was slightly entertaining to me. Not anymore. I find this is some of the worst things in all of wrestling. Uh, Nick Nick says in the Twitch chat, it may be my 15 Millers talking, but there's a chance Joe actually kills anyone that challenges him. Oh, yeah, Joe's gonna Joe's gonna make an example out of Hook next week. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so then we get Buzz Lightyear. I mean, Sammy Guevara versus Ricky Starks. Sammy not wearing Buzz as good as Alexa Bliss. So Starks hit a quick shoulder block his signature pose, and mocked Guevara, who answered back with the leapfrog, backflip, dropkick combo. Say that five times fast. Guevara then tripped up Starks to the floor and followed this up with a moonsault off the top to really land hard on Starks' shoulder. Guevara tried a suplex from the ring to the floor, but both men ended up on the apron, where Starks hit a high, ang- uh, high angel's wings on the edge of the ring, taking us to a picture-in-picture break. It was all Starks during the break, who did the rope walk strut, cutting off a semi-Guevara comeback. Starks then tried a TKO, but Guevara spun out of it into a super kick. Guevara went to the top, but Starks grabbed the foot and clobbered Guevara with a straight punch to the side of his head. Guevara then fought free, tried to go for a moonsault, and Starks hit a double boot, sit out powerbomb, and got a two off of it. Starks sprinted, but slid face first into the corner as Guevara leapfrogged over him, tried to go for the GTH, but Starks countered into a jackknife pin attempt for a two. Starks then wanted a spear, but Guevara dodged it, hit another thrust kick, and then just out of nowhere, rolls up Ricky, one, two, three, the match is over. I looked away for like a second to type up a tweet, and all of a sudden I just hear ding, ding, ding. I'm like, oh, the match is over. Okay. I had to rewind it and be like, oh, roll up. Okay. What do you think of the match before we get to the post-match? I mean, match was all right. I wouldn't say it was anything crazy. Post-match, we get Guevara and Starks. They shook hands. It was all a ploy for Big Bill to run out and lay out Sammy. Jericho's music would hit. He ran out with the baseball bat and dropped Bill, the code breaker, and a springboard dropkick. Starks and Guevara continued brawling as Jericho and Bill brawled into the crowd. As Judas just kept playing in Daly's place. Now, here's my thing. <clears throat> I get it. They fought in the crowd because they're 
building up and teasing to the street fight on Saturday. But if you're going to have the main event fighting in the crowd, we didn't need to see fighting in the crowd here. Or vice versa. You don't need the same thing twice on the same show. That's what your producer slash coach is for. To be like, all right, what do you guys want to do in your match? Oh, I'm going to bring it to Tony. I'm going to confirm it with him. And then Tony should say, no, we're going to do brawling in the crowd in this match instead. So don't do it there. It's just like in, in, we've heard it in WWE where it's like a wrestler says, hey, I want to do big Hurricane Rana spot off the top rope or something like a big top rope spot. But then they get told, no, you can't because that's already going to happen in the main event. That's booked. That spot is booked for the main event. Figure something else out. They don't do that in AEW. You see a lot of spots repeated throughout different matches on the show. And that's what the producers are supposed to be there for. To get together, say, hey, my guys want to do this. Is this good? Is this going to happen on the show already? Because you don't want to keep doing the same things over and over on the same show. But, yeah. It was whatever. Yeah. I think, go for it. Not a lot of fan. There weren't a lot of fan reactions tonight for Chris Jericho. There were very little. Well, fans are kind of hit or miss right now on Jericho. I mean, yeah. So then another match that didn't really go for it. I wonder if Tony Khan's actually going to say anything like more about it. Because really, like, during, or I think World's End. Got it. Like he said, we couldn't talk about it. He said, we can't talk about unsourced rumors. So I, I doubt anything happens. I mean, maybe, maybe they just want to get past the title match and then figure something out with Jericho. I don't know. I know Jericho's supposed to take some time off soon for the cruise. When's that next cruise? It's February, I think. I want to say the next Jericho cruise, the end of the month, January 26th through the 30th. So Jericho's going to be gone for a few weeks at the end of the month. <clears throat> and there's a number of AEW wrestlers that are going to be on this cruise as well. Swerve, Orange Cassidy, Penta, Don Callis, Will Hobbs, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, if he's cleared, Sky Blue, Daniel Garcia, Kingo, Prince Nana, Deanna Perrazzo, Dante Martin, Darius Martin, Taya, uh, Valkyrie, Lance Archer, Trent Beretta, Rocky Romero, Commander, Abaddon, Johnny Cruz is what they're calling him here instead of John oh, like Morrison. John Morrison? Yeah. Or Johnny TV. John Hennigan, whatever you want to call him. Nick Wayne's going to be on the cruise. Action Andretti, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn, Colt Cabana, Aubrey Edwards, Christian Jericho, Luther, Harley Cameron, Toa Leona, Bishop Khan, Layla Gray, uh, Alex Aberhentens, the Outrunners, Turbo Floyd, and Truth Magnum. Those are all the AEW wrestlers that are set for the cruise at the end of the month, which is the last weekend of the month. So that Friday to the Tuesday, which I doubt those guys are going to be on that January 30th collision. No, 31st. January 31st. A lot of those guys are, a lot of those guys on the cruise are like big Chris Jericho guys. Yeah, I mean half of them are the reason why they have a job in AEW. If I'm being completely honest, the other people they're going to be on the cruise: Paul White, Santino Morella, C.J. Perry, Bully Ray, Devon, Jerry Lynn, Ultimo Dragon, Matt Cardona, Gangrel, Buff Bagwell, Steph Delander, the Mountie, the uh, Bushwhacker Luke, Giselle Shaw, Speedball Mike Bailey. Missy Hyatt, Summer Ray, Michael Oku, RJ City, 
Hacksaw Jim Duggan, along with a bunch of musical acts I've never heard of, other than, like, Fozzie. Other than that, I don't think I've heard of any of these other musical acts at all. Oh, and then they're going to do a live uh, Busted Open Radio, so probably with Dave LaGreca and Bully Ray. Well, Tommy Dreamer, doesn't he do Busted, busted Open Radio as well? From time to time. I don't know if he's on there all the time. Mark Henry's on there more than he is. So is Thunder Rosa. <clears throat> like, his, like his t-shirt that he wears in, with TNA is always like busted open. Yeah. I don't think he's like a main guy as much as like Thunder Rosa, Bully Ray, Dave LaGreca, and um, Mark Henry. So, yeah. <clears throat> cool. I guess we get... We'll get a week at the end of the month with no Jericho. Probably he does the tag title match, loses, and then takes time off from there because he's got, you know, he's got to do some stuff leading up to the cruise to make sure all that's good to go. So I could see Saturday being his last match for a couple of weeks. Remember, Saturday, three hours of AEW content and, and programming. Two hours of collision, one hour of um, Battle of the Belts, We'll tell you everything announced for that later on. But another match that really didn't get much of a reaction, the eight-woman tag team match. It was Thunder Rosa, Chris Statlander, Willow Nightingale, and Anna Jay against the TBS champion Julia Hart, Sky Blue, Soraya, and Ruby Soho with Harley Cameron at ringside. Harley Cameron did get involved a couple of times too. Stokely, I think, was out there as well. So <clears throat> Stokely was at ringside. Holding up a sign that said, let Stoke manage yo, yo, you stat or something like that. I read it and I go, I'm going to write it down how it is, but this don't sound like English. Let Stroke manage you stat. Like, I get it. Basically, Stokely Hathaway wants Chris Statlander to turn heel and he wants to be her manager, whatever. So the match starts off with Ruby Soho and Anna Jay. Jay popped Soho with a forearm early on and then a spinning, spinning corner kick. There's some fast tags in and out from the babyface team as Soho took a series of quick offense with Rosa being the one who stood tall. Soho floated over Rosa and fell into her corner as Hart made the tag and attacked Rosa from behind. The heels returned the favor as they took turns stomping Rosa in, uh, stomping Rosa in the corner before she fought back, tagging Nightingale who connected on a corner splash. Aubrey Edwards was distracted, no shocker there, with Carly Hamron, or Harley Cameron tripping up Nightingale in the ropes, and the heel stayed in control during the commercial break. Nightingale finally dropped Hart and Blue with a double clothesline as Statlander made her hot tag and cleaned house, laying out Soraya with a, fisher, a spinning fisherman's driver for a two. Match broke down yet again, and the baby faces connected with a quadruple suplex. Each lady took turns hitting a high-impact move, ending with Statlander hitting Soraya with a rolling German, leaving Jay and Hart the legal women. Staring each other down, they started to have a slugfest before Jay applied the Queen Slayer, but didn't see Sky Blue make the blind tag. All this did was allow Jay to sink in the Queen Slayer on her and then get the tap out for her team. So, Anna Jay wins the match. Now on Saturday, she'll be challenging... Julia Hart for the TBS championship. So I guess this match did build to that. But I kind of wish Anna Jay would have tapped out Julia Hart. 
would have made more sense for her getting the title shot. Now, granted, she beat Julia's team, so I guess that's a little whatever, cool, good, makes sense. But it would have made more sense if she actually tapped out the champion leading to a title match. What would you think of the match? I think Anna Jay, like, picking up the win, it was the right move here. Yes. She's getting a title but, shot out of it. But, like, what is Preston Vance getting out of his win? Nothing. Right. So, as we move on forward, a video package showed announcing the only thing we know for Rampage. Wheeler Yuta calling out Eddie Kingston for calling him a young boy bitch a couple of weeks ago. Yuta challenged Kingston to a continental title match on Rampage. But is the pure championship on the line as well? Because Excalibur stated if Eddie Kingston wins, he can become a quadruple champion. So are all the titles on the line? It's, I, don't, I, it, I don't think so. I don't know. Because the video package said nothing about the pure title. So it's not a pure rules match. So the pure title can't be on the line, right? I don't. I don't know. Another thing uh, speaking of speaking of right, go for it. Yeah, go right ahead, real quick. Oh no, I was just saying another thing of something getting announced, people not fully knowing what the plan is, and then just spewing off bullshit. Because Excalibur literally said, "You know, coming out of this match, Eddie Kingston could become a quadruple champion." So does that mean if Eddie doesn't win? Yuda's going to have the triple crown, whatever you want to call it, the continental crown. The three belts, the four belts. I don't, or did, he, or did I hear him wrong? And he said, Yuda could be a quadruple champion. That may have been what it was. And I heard him wrong. That could Probably. have been it. Actually, now that I think about it, that may have been what he meant. So I just corrected myself there. Probably. But what were you going to say? I was about to say, speaking of rampage, did you see what Jeff Hardy said about, at Rampage, Mm-mm. he said, "We the Hardys will not be appearing on the on this live show called AEW Dynamite. We the Hardys are stuck in the dimension of AEW Rampage." Well, apparently Matt's going through some shit himself. Twitter rumor, TikTok rumor, him or him and Rebby might be splitting up. I don't know. I don't deal in relationship stuff unless it like impacts the wrestler, and their job. If it's just their personal life, I don't care. If it's going to bleed in to Matt's job and his, you know, AEW work, then I'll report on it. If it's like, oh, Matt's got to take time off because he's going through this and da 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 But if it's just him and Reb, you're getting a divorce, whatever, whatever happens, happens. But that's my whole thing. Back in the past, I may have been like, I'll report on anything. But now it's like, maybe not. If it's not going to impact the wrestler's work, or the company. Why, why talk about it? It's their personal personal lives. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, if it's going to affect someone, like, leaving a wrestling company, then, like, <coughs> then, yeah, it would probably be right for us to report, but I don't think it's really, like, right for us to talk about, like, if they're just splitting up, right. just now, in their personal life. I don't think that's it, really right for us to talk about it. If it was 2005 and it was the Edge Lita Matt Hardy stuff, but then led to Matt Hardy losing his mind and getting fired by WWE and then coming back and starting a storyline, that's a whole different thing. Then you report on that because Matt, 
after the Lita stuff, kind of went crazy a little bit, lost his job in WWE. You report on that, and then he came back and they turned it into a storyline. So that's a whole different kind of why you would talk about that and their personal stuff. But I've seen so many people now making the jokes and stuff. Oh, Matt and Rebby getting a divorce. Lita's still single. Yeah, whatever. So moving forward, we had Roderick Strong versus Brian Keith. Here's my question. Why did they have to do a full big old entrance where they had to bring a chair in for Adam Cole to sit in the ring for like five seconds during Roddy's entrance? Just have Roddy go out there. Like they can all go out there, but why did they all have to get in the ring and bring the chair? Like Cole can't stand there on the crutches for a second. It wasted like, a lot of time. I'm talking about the post, the pre-match, not post-match. No, it was for Adam Cole to do the boom. You could do that with. You could still do that with the crutches. If this man stand on that one leg properly, though. If this man, but here's my thing: if this man can hand ward load the crutches and roll in the ring, which means he's putting pressure on that leg when he rolls over on it, he can stand there on crutches and go boom, and then put it. Trust me, I know. I had my cast, my my left leg in a cast from my upper thigh to my toes for six weeks in high school when I busted my knee skateboarding. Trust me. I had to, had to walk to class uphill both ways on crutches until they finally said, yeah, you're going to stay home until you're healed because you're late to every class. Because trust me, like literally, my I grew up in the mountains and my class, my school was built on hills. And there's no flat at all on our campus. And everything is uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill, dirt, gravel. So, yeah, they were like, yeah, we're going to have a lady bring you your work every day or a couple times a week. Because uh, you're not making it to class on time ever. Well, thankfully, I've never broken anything. So, yeah, I tore my meniscus. It was just shy of needing surgery. They're like, we're going to, we, they're like, we don't think it's bad enough for surgery. We're going to put you in a cast for six to eight weeks and then reevaluate. Luckily, it healed itself in the cast, and I didn't need surgery. So, as far as this match does go, Roderick Strong versus Brian Keith. Love Brian Keith, but this was a total Roderick Strong showcase. Quick and dirty. Keith caught a charging Strong with a boot, fired off some chops, sending Strong to the floor with another big boot. Both men fought on the apron as Strong hit a violent backbreaker on the edge of the apron. Back inside, Strong stomped Keith in the corner, but Keith fought off of a half-and-half suplex, starting a strike battle. Strong hit a high-angle slam, wanted a suplex, but then Keith fought off with some diamond dust. Keith then wanted a Tiger Driver nearly... uh, Wanted a Tiger Driver, nearly settled for a sunset flip, and then Strong popped up with a jumping knee and a heartache and pinned him to pick up the victory. So, not much to the match other than Brian Keith did get some good offense. But he ultimately was just there to feed a victory to Roderick Strong. Then, we go to the post-match. They bring Adam Cole back in. And all the guys. Adam Cole gets the chair. Now, this makes sense why Adam Cole needs a chair. He's sitting there for like four or five minutes. But here's the thing. A couple negatives here. Not really any positives. First off, Adam Cole cut the exact same promo almost word for word that he cut last week. 
oh, the kingdom or the tag team champions. Roddy's going to go for the international championship. And old Wardlow, he's a monster who's going to take that world title and then eventually give it to me. Here's my other negative. Call Wardlow a monster. Wardlow didn't look like a monster. Wardlow looked like your homie from down the street with his messed up hair and a hoodie. And then with that camera angle down at Adam Cole looking up at Wardlow, he didn't look like a monster. He looked the same size as Mike Bennett and um, Matt Taven. Now, granted, he's only like three inches taller than Mike Bennett anyways, but still, because Wardlow's like 6'2", Bennett's my height, 5'10", 5'11". So, yeah. We didn't need this at all, because it's literally the same thing as last week. Other than we got the match here with Roddy and Brian Keith. That was the difference. But, yeah, this wasn't needed. Because it was literally the exact same promo. And it didn't do nothing to make me think, oh, man, Wardlow's going to whoop someone's ass. Wardlow can beat Joe for the belt. Nope. Also, Wardlow's never said he wanted to go for the belt. The only reason he would have challenged for the belt before was because he wanted to fight MJF and thought going for the belt was the only way to do so. Oh, I'm going to take what MJF loves, the title. But MJF don't have the belt. So since MJF lost the belt, Wardlow himself, A, hasn't said a word at all, and B, hasn't said anything about the belt. But yeah, he did nothing for Wardlow to make him look like a viable challenger or a strong whatever. He didn't seem like a monster to me at all. What would you think? I mean, you kind of had to put the Undisputed Kingdom on the show tonight, though. Yes, but not cutting the exact same promo almost word for word. Right, right. But, but I don't know. Like, this whole, like, I like the group Undisputed Kingdom. Like, it makes sense. But what they're doing so far with the group just, like, hasn't been all that great. I don't know if it's just because Adam Cole is injured and he can't really wrestle. True. But Nick said So they probably can't go for it, go for it. So they probably can't do so they probably can't do like what they want to do. So Nick's response, because he was we were tweeting or we were messaging during this show, was Warlow looks like a senior who only picks on the freshman. Kind of. So yeah. We get more Renee. She's backstage with Dion Perrazzo who said that she's still on cloud nine after her debut last week. If Tony Storm wants to act like she doesn't know who she is, she'll send her a screener of her AEW debut this Saturday at Collision. Red Velvet comes up and she goes, oh, you want to have your Collision debut? I'm going to have my Collision debut this week. How about we stir it up? And then I couldn't tell exactly what Deanna said. She says something like, is that your stirrer or whatever? I don't know. And then she's like, walks off and then red velvet was kind of just like ah, that was rude and that was it and then they announced later it's diana versus red velvet saturday it's kind of weird i guess it built up to the match but it was like what huh like, i couldn't even tell what did diana even say to her did she say is that your stirrer she's like is that your stirrer i don't know i had to rewind it twice and i still don't know what she said I just you know Red Velvet was like, I'm going to have my day collision debut this week as well. How about we stir it up? Basically her way of saying let's have a match. 
But then Deanna made fun of her. So is Deanna a heel? Is Red Velvet a heel? Is the babyface for baby? Again, more shit that don't make sense. But it's just a match for Deanna. Also, speaking of Deanna Perrazzo and last week with Mariah May, Queen Ambonada got signed by AEW, the one that fought Mariah May last week. So that's cool. I had never heard of her before last week, but she looked good against Mariah May. I'm pretty sure her and Sky Blue are like really good friends. Well, no, I had never heard of her at all before last week. I'm just hoping about like Deanna Peraza. I'm just hoping they don't use her as just like as just a woman on the roster. Well, no, she's gonna be like every other signing. Come in, wanna go for the champion, most likely lose to the champion, and then like you said, just become another woman on the roster. That's what they always do. They bring people in, they build them up like they're gonna be the next big thing on the, in the company, get their title shot rather quickly, and then fizzle out. I mean, look at Lance Archer. Look at look look at Taya Valkyrie. Oh, she's relegated to ROH. Oh yeah. Her and Johnny TV. Well, Johnny's thing is they don't know what to do with him now that QT's gone. Because he was part of the QT group. Stay with Harley Cameron. And then have you noticed no Aaron Solo anywhere? He'll probably, I'm sure he'll probably just still do his like talk show stuff. Maybe. But other than that, they probably don't know what to do with him. Right. So. Dude, Nick just sent me like Wardlow's the guy who graduated six years ago, but still goes to the football games. <laughs> they haven't won a championship in 15 years. That's funny. So then we go to our main event, Jim Ross on commentary. Justin Roberts introduces the nature boy, Ric Flair. Did you notice what it said on his graphic? 21-time world champion? Uh, yeah, I've seen that. That's the real number. Like WWE always says 16-time world champion, 16-time world champion. No, the actual real number is 21. So Tony Khan out here. Doing the real thing, the right thing. 21 is the real number. He is not tied with John Cena. John Cena is not tied with him. Is it 16 time, like, (laughs) related to WWE? Well, no. So what happened was there were a couple of times that Ric Flair had title matches that he won. The thing got, like, either reversed or that the NWA and stuff never counted. But if you look at all of the times that Ric Flair won a championship, or, so, how do I explain this? If you look at every time Ric Flair actually won a world title match as the challenger, it's actually 21. But again, there are a couple of times that he won the world title and it was not counted, or it was reversed. And so it was, quote, stricken from the record book. Whether that was in WCW or in Crockett. So with the NWA and all that. So that's what it that's what it is. That's just like I think with uh Kerry Von Eric. He beat Rick for the title, but then they never actually counted it as a legit NWA world title reign. They did it a lot in the eighties. Like I think he beat there was somebody in Japan that he beat. It may have been Fujinami that he beat. And then they like didn't count it or something or there there was something there. I know there was one in Japan where it didn't count. 
So, yeah. Technically, Rick is really a 21-time world champion. As far as this match does go, Jim Ross was on commentary. It was Sting and Darby Allen versus Powerhouse Hobbs and Kanosuke Takeshita in a tornado tag. Again, they didn't give me no Don Callis on commentary. And if they did, I didn't hear him or notice it. So, immediately all four men are brawling in the crowd. Sting and Hobbs go one way. Allen and Takeshita go the other. Sting placed Hobbs on a uh, road case and hammered him into a trash can. Or hammered him, yeah, into a trash can. While Takeshita laid out Allen with some chops, taunting Flair in the process. Allen dropkicked Takeshita off the apron. Tried to go for a coffin drop. But Takeshita caught him and hit a rolling German on the floor, taking us to a pitcher-in-pitcher break. During the break, Hobbs and Takeshita set up a table at ringside. And I think they, like, uh, they did something where they messed with Sting's eyes or something like that on the table. Like, they drew Sting's yeah. eyes on the table. I think there's two, yeah, think, there's two tables. They did, yeah. yeah. I couldn't know. It was in the small box. So I was like, I think they're spray painting to look like Sting's face or something. I don't know. Allen tried to come back, but Takeshita and Hobbs hit a double-team flipping power slam before launching Allen clear across the ring. They did the ring around the rosy thing that we've seen before with Darby where they swing, 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 woo, and then they launch him. Sting was left alone to fight back for his team with some Stinger splashes, only to be cut off with the Takeshita jumping knee. Ric Flair then jumped in the ring and took his jacket off, and I was like, oh, my God, Rick's squaring up. Rick's about to die. Rick's about to die. Only to be cut off with it to catch the jumping knee. Ric Flair got in, or like I said, Ric Flair got in the ring, but tried to chop Hobbs, who no sold it. Flair then opted to poke him in the eye, and then nothing more with Rick there. Sting sent to catch the packing with Allen hitting a dive to the floor. Sting dropped Hobbs with a spine buster as all four men fought to the stage, where Hobbs sent Sting into the metal entrance structure. Allen then dodged a Takeshita charging knee, and Takeshita smacked the guardrail. Allen climbed up to a high spot on the stage and then jumped off at the coffin drop, almost missed Takeshita. Takeshita caught him at the last moment, but barely caught him, not really breaking his fall, but slowing Darby's momentum. So, we got that. Uh... Thank you, awesome Chuda. I'm going to read the... Uh, we're going to check that out. We're going to look at that after we recap this match. Um, so, Darby's dead. He's laying there. Hobbs and Sting are fighting in front of the crowd in front of the ring up on the stage. Sting that hits a scorpion death drop off the stage through the tables. Half of Sting's body misses, so Sting cracks his head on the floor. Hobbs is down dead. Sting laying there. Just pulls his arm over, barely puts it on top of um, Hobbs. Referee counts one, two, three. So Hobbs and Takeshita eventually leave. Ric Flair goes over, looks down, extends his hand like, hey, Sting, let me help you up. Referee says, back it up. Back it up, Rick. And calls over for the doctor. Doc Samson comes. He's been calling for more people. Another referee comes out. They barely get Sting to his feet. They roll him into the ring. Darby barely makes it back down. He's selling the thing, but I don't know if it's fully selling. I think he's also just hurt from that coffin drop off the stage. Sting's still laying there. We go to the wide shot, and then all of a sudden, bing, Sting just pops right up. Sting just pops right up. 
And before we get to the post-match, what did you think of the actual match? I mean, the match was okay. It was a little... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't know. Towards the end, it was a little, like, scary, you know, with... With Sting possibly getting injured, it was the Darby spot too. Yeah, but yeah, it was a little uh, chaotic. There you if go. I would say that a little bit. Also, when Sting was trying to go for that Scorpion Death Drop, you could tell he didn't have his footing and almost slipped off, and then eventually just fell back with Hobbs. So, um. So Sting pops up, just random, all of a sudden, like, he's on the ground, uh, laying there like he can't move. And all of a sudden, you just see him in the wide shot, boing, spring up. Shivani gets in the ring. Rick gets back in the ring. Darby's in the ring. And Shivani goes, well, coming up is AEW Revolution, March 3rd. It's going to be your final match. Everybody wants to know, who is your opponent going to be for your last match? And he looks right at Darby. And I go, yes. They're going to do the match that I want. Sting versus... And then out come the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks make their way out to the ring with a new look. They've got just little Vince McMahon pencil pencil mustaches. Nick wearing all white. Matt wearing all black. These weird, like... I don't know if you would call them suits, but they got like slacks on. Like a, a dress coat. And then a shirt under the matches, all of that. So like I said, Nick in all white, Matt in all black, Nick wearing one of those old man caps. And Excalibur's losing his shit on commentary going, oh my God, does this mean what I think it means? Is it going to be Sting and Darby Allin against the Young Bucks at Revolution in Sting's final match? Oh my God, are the Young Bucks going to challenge Sting in his final match? Is it Sting and Darby versus the Young Bucks at Revolution in Greensboro? Oh my God, more next week. We'll see you on Friday for Rampage. And that's how the show goes off the air. And Twitter loses their shit going, no. Sting's last match is not the Young Bucks. No, no. No. What do you think? Sting and Darby against the Young Bucks, potentially being Sting's final match. In front of like 15,000 people. It's it's kind of a letdown. (laughs) I mean, completely honest. Yep. It it needs to be Sting versus Darby. Like, it really needs to be that. Because, like, what, what it should be is Sting says, like, like I need, I still need to find my my last opponent, and Darby could say, "Why not pick me?" Yeah, because the one thing you haven't done in your career is face me, right? And and I want, and I want to be your final opponent. That can be AEW's version of Sean and Ric Flair WrestleMania 24, and it could be like Sting passing the torch to Darby. Exactly, just like Rick passed the torch to Sean, even though two years later Sean was retired, but still. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking here on Twitter right now, and it's just like, people were happy that the Unbucks are back. I've seen those tweets, but I haven't seen any happy tweets of, oh, they're going to face Sting in his final match? What? Like, that's what I've seen. I, I, there's two different sides of this. There's, oh, cool, the Unbucks are back. Then there's also, no, no. Like, here's one right here. It says, the fucking Young Bucks are going to be the ones in 
who are Sting's last opponents ever, and it's the Ryan Gosling laughing emoji or, or, or GIF. Or here's another one that says, Sting's last opponents will be the Young Bucks, LMAO, and it's the video of Big E going, what? Huh? What? Huh? Or we've got, let's see, some more. It says, Young Bucks are getting Sting's last match, and the internet is going to melt. Uh, let me see if there's any more good ones. Uh, here we go. Um, hey, you. Yes, you. And it's Will Smith, like, pointing at the camera. It says, we don't give a fuck if you hate the Young Bucks. Most of us love them. But we still don't want this match. So. Yeah. We'll see where it leads to. But as of right now, looks like that is going to be things last match. They're going to have a, what what I say, seven, eight weeks to build it up. So. Uh, seven weeks, yeah. Yeah. You put the Twitch poll up really fast. I liked it. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, it was all right. I didn't like it. All right, so go vote if you're watching on Twitch. And while we refresh all the other polls, let's hear from our sponsor, Upscale Bling. Are you looking to up your accessory game? Why not do so with Upscale Bling? Upscale Bling is your source for in-style chains, watches, rings, and many more awesome products to level up your wardrobe. Not only are their products high quality, but they're also affordable. Don't take just my word for it. Go check them out right now at blingupscale.com. Head over to blingupscale.com right now and use code PWUNLIMITED at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. Again, that's code PWUNLIMITED at checkout for 20% off at blingupscale.com. Check it out today. All right, so as far as the polls do go, as far as the Twitter X poll does go, 48% liked the show. 31% didn't like the show. And 20% thought it was just all right. <clears throat> Looking at the YouTube community poll. 57% liked the show. 21% thought it was just all right. 21% didn't like it. Uh, some of the comments here. Main event was great, but outside of that, it was an average 6 out of 10 show. Or says it was okay. Uh, this is kind of sort of a Brody Lee tribute show. It says, I might be the only one, but I don't really care for the Young Bucks. It just feels they could have done something else. Person says it was meh. Versus a bunch of hearts and thumbs up. Looking at the YouTube live poll, 59% liked the show, 20% thought it was just all right, and 20% didn't like it. Finally, looking over at the Twitch poll, 67% liked the show, 33% didn't like the show. Now, as far as what's going to happen on Rampage and Collision this week, Rampage, we do have Eddie Kingston defending the Continental Championship against pure champion Wheeler Yuta. 
Cars Collision does go. Adam Copeland has an open challenge. Deanna Perrazzo will be taking on Red Velvet. Hangman Page returns to Norfolk, Virginia, whatever that's supposed to mean. And the Ring of Honor Trios Championships with six-man tag team titles will be on the line with Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony defending against Lance Archer and The Righteous. Same night, Saturday, Battle of the Belts. Street Fight, AW Tag Team Championships. Ricky Starks and Big Bill against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Also, Julia Hart will defend the TBS Championship against Anna Jay. Finally, next Wednesday on Dynamite, Samoa Joe will defend the AEW World Championship against the FTW Champion, Hook. So with that, guys, that's going to wrap everything up. I want to say thank you for joining me here. Twitch.tv forward slash PWUnlimited, YouTube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Unlimited, and podcast services all around the globe like Stitcher, Spotify, Google Pod, Apple Pod, Anchor, iHeartRadio, and so much more. Luke, tell me where they can find you. You can find me over at Twitter X at Petke underscore 21. And you can also find me over at Twitch at Young Grasshopper Luke. Good with that, guys. Have a great rest of your night. I'll be back Friday. See what goes on. I don't know if I'm doing a wrestling wrap-up because my daughter has an awards assembly Friday morning, so I have to go to that. But we will be back for sure Friday evening for Friday Night SmackDown. With that, guys, have a great rest of your day. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one, guys.